You're full of it. What are you talking about? That was perfect. <laughs> Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios. This is Wisconsin's Morning News. Here's your host, Vince Petrano. Let's go. Come on. Let's go. Okay, guy, here we go. 809 on Wisconsin's Morning News this Monday morning. Greg Pancake Hill is producing the program. Eric Bilstead and Vince Petrano here with you. Do want to just let you know that if anything else pops on the breaking news that we're reporting on here on the south side this morning, we'll let you know right away. Got a number of topics that we want to get through in this 8 o'clock hour, but what we know about that is this is the border between Milwaukee and Greenfield. South side, 27th Street, right near the freeway is best way I can identify. This is kind of my neck of the woods, just a few miles from my house. So 27th Street, the business district there. If you're right by the freeway, 894, just as you're about to hit the Mitchell Interchange, there are a lot of hotels right nearby. And it, I don't know if this is connected to one of those hotels, Eric, but it's nearby. Right. And so what we've heard is police radio reports suggesting that there was a shooting and that perhaps an officer was involved in that. Beyond that, don't have anything else to share with you on that breaking news, but just want to let you know that we're on top of it, monitoring a number of different sources. Finaskin is in the WTMJ Breaking News Center, making calls on it. So if we have something more that we can report to you or a news conference of some nature, we will make sure to do that here in this 8 o'clock hour. I want to back up and talk about something. Now, it seems like a last week story, but this thing has legs, Eric. Everybody I talked to this weekend socially, whether it was parents connected to my kids' stuff or people I played sports with or whatever, everybody was still talking about the Giannis failure thing. Really? The yeah. Com- the comments that it wasn't really a failure, even though the Bucks got knocked out prematurely. The there's postseason. no failure in sports. Giannis, there's no failure in sports. Giannis Antetokounmpo asked last week after the Bucks' stunningly poor showing in round one of the playoffs that they were expected to dominate, asked if it was a failure. Do you view this season as a failure? You asked me the same question last year, Eric. Do you get, do you get the promotion every year on your job? No, right? So every year you work is a failure. Yes or no? No. So Giannis ultimately saying in that news conference, and I, I think anyone can... First of all, appreciate that this guy just had a heartbreaking loss, you know, was hurt and battled, and no one ever questions his effort. But basically was asked, "Is the you didn't make the championship, you didn't win a championship, was the season a failure? And Giannis went in a long explanation of how it wasn't. And so I want to take it outside of Giannis's comments, and there were a lot of questions about whether or not it was a fair question and things like that. Let's move it beyond that, because the conversations I was having with people were beyond that. We looked at ourselves. We looked at people we know. We looked at our kids. And it's this idea that failure is a four-letter word. Like, it cannot be. It's not in my kids' vocabulary. I can tell you that. Right, right. And a lot of other parents were sharing this with me mm. as well. I don't know about how your kids look at stuff, Eric, but I feel like... Whatever it is, they didn't finish an assignment or they didn't achieve a goal in the sport they were playing or whatever, like cannot, can, cannot get with that word and own it. See, that's unfortunate because that's something that uh, I feel like everyone should experience in some fashion, at least when you're growing and developing too, your brain is still maturing. Should, everyone should learn how to handle and deal with some type of failure. And I think they do like they don't they know they haven't achieved things. I'm speaking to my kids now okay. or or other people's kids like and kind of creating a, a conglomeration here of sure. comments that I heard from other parents. It's like, yeah, they know their kids have goals and they know when they fall short of those goals. But then it immediately turns to but I didn't fail, but I didn't fail, but I didn't fail. And 
my idea of failure is not that you should destroy yourself over it, right? We should try. Should learn from we should it. fail. We own that failure. And if you've learned something from it, then that's great. That's what you're supposed to. There can still be growth in failure. There can and should still be learning in failure. But you must first acknowledge, I did fail. And that doesn't mean it's the end of the world. It doesn't mean you're a failure. But a particular thing that you went after that you didn't achieve, I think we still need to own the word failure. I tried mm. this. It didn't work. I failed. I'm a better person for it. I grew for, from it. I learned X, Y, Z from it. But I did fail. And I, I see this disconnect where there's certain among us who want to look at it that way. Like, yes, I tried. I failed. I learned. And others who, like, won't touch the word. Or, I can't admit that I failed. But there's also, I mean, speaking from a parent's perspective, I do think there are times often when we prevent children from failing yes. or, or even subconsciously do something to keep them from failing, whether it's getting in front of an issue that we could see happening or whatnot. You know what I mean? Because there's the fear of seeing someone else fail. In a physical sense, it's when your kid's really little and they're toddler and they're doing that toddler run where they're and you see like they're about to take a digger (laughs) and you like swoop in and grab them before they fall and smash their head on the pavement. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's good parenting. (laughs) But right. It's harder in the in the abstract sense of watching your kid. Maybe the homework's not getting done or maybe something's not happening. And you can see it. You can see it start to happen. Sometimes it takes a couple of days, sometimes a couple of hours, even shorter than that. But you can kind of see it build into a potential fail. And then there they are that morning. I need to to be sick today from school. Why? Because this isn't done. And then the decision of that parent is, do I send them to school to accept their failure or do I call them out because it was a long week? Yeah. And I think, and it's hard to do. It is hard to do. It seems easy. If you don't have kids or you're not there yet or whatever, I certainly thought that was going to be easy when I had kids. Oh, sure. Just tell them. You got to go to school. You got to own this failure. But <laughs> when that's your kid and they're in for a hard day, right. it's hard not to swoop in and save them from that. But I think you're absolutely right. The best thing to do is allow them to go when they're in grade school or middle school or even high school and go and accept the failure of that moment and learn from it and grow as opposed to have you always swooping in and saving. Especially when the ramifications aren't as large. I mean, in sports yes. in general, I mean, come on. I know that you may disagree with me. We talk about this from time to time, but how many sports actually matter <laughs> you know, yes, as it right. pertains to any of us outside of some professional? Yeah, and to, and to me, my point on I know, professional I know. sports always is it's it's big economy. It's things yeah, that, right. Yeah. If you get paid to do something for a living – then that matters on a different level of whether or not I go out and fail in my golf outing on Saturday. Right. Right. You, but those things matter in, to us. Your failing in golf isn't going to affect the economy of Milwaukee. It moves for the next markets, six weeks. Eric. Major markets move. <laughs> they rise and fall on the tide of Vinny's golf season. Indeed. How long do we have? <laughs> we got to get back to you no. golfing well. You're right. So I, I'm, I feel like I'm onto something here. Like there's a disconnect between. I don't know if it's generational or what's happening, but like, I just think where we have to be is failure is acceptable. Like you don't drive for it. You don't strive for it, but you must acknowledge that we are fallible people. We fail. And then the the lesson is not don't ever fail. The lesson is yes, fail, learn from it, grow from it. And it's not worthless. It's part of your human existence. Yes. You are still developing from it.
but let us not deny that failure occurs, right? Hmm. So you're saying that he did fail then? I am saying he failed. <laughs> and, and I love him. I love him as our guy. I know, I know. But he failed. He missed a whole bunch of free throws. The team fell on its face. And we, the number one team in the National Basketball Association that was expected to at least go to the finals, probably win another championship. And winning championships is hard. But that was their goal. It must have been, right? Mm-hmm. And they, they failed to achieve that goal. Does that mean they didn't grow? Does it mean they didn't learn? Does it mean this whole season should be thrown out? There was no value in it? Not at all. But you set a goal, you fell short, that's failure. Own the word and learn from that as opposed to discount that failure occurred. 818 on Wisconsin's Morning News. Eight twenty one on Wisconsin's morning news. Eight five five six one six one six twenty is the old National Bank talk and text line. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Old National Bank, get old. A lot of folks are texting in about the topic. The point that I raised that failure seems like nowadays a four letter word. Like you can't say it, you can't own it. And without regard for what Giannis meant, and, and I want to take it beyond his comments because we sort of debated that particular part of it to death. What I want to do is extend it to the conversations that I was having with other parents, in particular, about what it is like for Gen Zs or maybe even millennials in terms of their ability or inability to embrace the word. My message would be, I think the proper lens in life is that people fail. I fail, you fail, we fail at certain things. And that if you grow from it and if you learn from it, it can still be valuable even if it is a failure. So you're not a failure, but you still failed in a certain act and that that's okay. Like that happens. And what I'm seeing in young people, my kids, other people's kids, is like they're so afraid to admit that word, to say that word, to admit that that's occurred, that I don't think we're doing them any help. From the 414, I think you can fail at something without being a failure. Yeah, for sure. You can fail to achieve your goal, but still learn or meet people, or in the case of the Bucks, provide entertainment and earn a living. They fail to achieve a goal, but that doesn't make the season a failure as a whole. Again, as far as the failure goes, here's another one. To succeed in anything in life, this is from the 262, you must fail first. So think failure of, is required. I think that's true. Think about like the restaurant industry. I know a lot of restaurateurs and people I've worked with who are in the food service industry. You know how many restaurants fail till somebody gets a hit, right? You open a brand new restaurant, you're open for two years, it quote unquote fails. But the people who ran and operated that restaurant learned a ton. Sure. So it doesn't mean it wasn't a valuable experience, but obviously their goal going in was to have a restaurant that stayed open. Mm -hmm. And if it didn't stay open, then the restaurant failed. But then they go on to open another restaurant. I mean, look at uh, Bartolotta Restaurant Group. They have tons of restaurants. Some of them make it. Some of them don't. They're a very successful restaurateur um, in, in, in southeast Wisconsin. They've had successes. They've had successes that have endured decades, and they've had failures along the way. I'm sure if you interviewed any of the Bartolotta family, all of them would say, I mean, I remember talking to Joe over so many years, you know, you learn something from every attempt there. But he also wouldn't say, like, yeah, that restaurant was a great success. Well, no, it didn't work. It didn't stay open. Well, do we know? Is that true then? Are we at a place where parents and, and children are not realizing the the necessity of failure are, are we getting in the way of that time and time again even subconsciously i think we are and we ought not and i again as a parent of three it's really hard to watch your kid fail yeah oh yeah 
but sometimes you got to step back and allow that. What's what's difficult is where's that line, right? Because what is a catastrophic failure that I want to step in and save them from, mm-hmm. whereas what is like, ah, the homework's not done. I'm going to send them off to school and make them deal with it. Well, does it go the other way too, though? Does it also go with success? Do you need to temper success in some way when your child does something well, whether it's in sports or grades or an ensemble piece for you know anything? Like, I, Do you need to like, hey, yeah, nice job, instead of... Ah! <laughs> Here's 18 photos of it. Here, look how great my kid is. It's interesting. We, we, well, you and I were just talking about whether or not it's necessary for parents to be at every single thing their kid yeah, does. I mean, yeah. it certainly wasn't how you and I grew up. No. And I harbor no resentment over that. I did what I, I played my sports that I wanted mm-hmm. to play. Mm-hmm. I did my stuff. If somebody was there, great. Yeah, now, I mean, we just started talking this week. I was telling Angela, Mike, we have to figure out a way to divide and conquer. There's, there's way too many things. We'll, we'll, this is not sustainable. It's not, <laughs> right? If we're both going to be at every single thing you're in, like, I'm sorry, some of these are going to be a pass. <laughs> and that doesn't mean I don't love you. It doesn't mean what you're doing is not important. And and Just don't fail. It's okay. to. I, th- I think one thing that we did learn is... You don't want the parents who are so hard on their kids that their kids feel like they have to impress their parents or things like that. So That's there's true. a way You're there's right. a way even in failure to encourage the mm-hmm. kid. Mm-hmm. You know, to if your child goes up and you know, my kids are in music, for example, they go up and have not their greatest performance. You can still praise them for having they did a lot of good things, right? They got up in front of people. My kids had solo ensemble this weekend at state. You know, they were involved in um uh a cappella group and then one of my kids had a solo as as well. And in both cases, they did get constructive advice from the judge. Like, you could have done this better. Now, I wouldn't characterize either of those as failures. They did a nice job. But even in that, you could still encourage your child for a lot of the good things that came of a performance that maybe wasn't up to par. You don't have to – don't lie to them. But you can still encourage them without, you know, telling them, like, hey, you should be on American Idol. Now, were you in the room? (laughs) I was. Were you like, oh, you did great. Don't listen to that. Don't listen to that judge. <laughs> Don't listen to that guy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> no, it's it's funny. I, I thought uh, the judges that took care to be there and work through that day with these young people were, in all accounts, and there were two of them just who had really interesting things to say. Now, can you yell at a judge like we can yell at umpires? Is that the same? In the solo ensemble? Yeah, yeah is that a lot? You're full of it. What are you talking about? That was perfect. <laughs> she wasn't sharp. Perfect tone. Perfect. <laughs> 827 on Wisconsin's Morning News. on Wisconsin's Morning News. My friend Jeff texted me this, uh, I guess it would be a meme, Samuel Beckett quote, ever tried, ever failed, no matter, try again, fail again, fail better. Ooh, fail better. You asked about my golf game earlier. Like, even professional golfers who win majors deconstruct their swing because I guess if you shot 36, which is par for nine holes... You could shoot 34. And if you shoot 30, you could shoot 29. Like, there's yeah, always yeah, room. You're right. So everybody is tinkering, changing, trying, always looking to be better. Thirty-six on this Monday morning, Wisconsin's morning news. Something in the news this week, Eric, leads me closer to the idea that a series of events are 
not only connected and not only highly convenient, but are exactly what we thought they were. They are who we thought they were. They are who we thought they were, that they were orchestrated and directed and are now playing out exactly as the architects had hoped, save for one thing, I suppose, and that's people noticed. They are who we thought they were. So let me give you this recent news and then back up a little bit. It's something that we've talked about before on the show. Sarah Godlewski is a Democrat. She's Wisconsin Secretary of State and is raising bipartisan concern, and it's truly bipartisan, in the State Elections Commission because of a recent focus on elections, on the process and accountability. Reporting in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, quote, Godlewski has at times used her position to act as a spokeswoman for Wisconsin elections. What's wrong with that? Well, that's not her job. Bingo. That is not something that falls under the constitutional purview of the Wisconsin Secretary of State. Okay, so what? Big deal, right? Well, here's a little bit more background on why that's concerning to elections officials. And then I'll further connect the dots on how we got here. Secretary Godlewski, for herself, she did tell the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, quote, my role is not an election official, but I do think democracy is a team sport at the end of the day. Everybody has a role in how we can continue to champion democracy. And I look forward to working with the WEC, that's Wisconsin Election Commission, just like I'm working with other groups. And I think that we're all better when we work together, she said. Now, the Elections Commission thinks it's confusing people. And that she is outside her her lane, if you will. That's something that we say a lot. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. So this is, they're not so subtle, I suppose, when asked by the Journal Sentinel, either that or somebody fed it to JS, like, hey, you're going to want to maybe ask me some questions about this because I might have something to say about it. JS notes, Godlewski did a video recently that was aimed at county clerks and poll workers, so a message specifically to them said that in a recent interview, she wants her office to help local elections officials. And particularly concerning to the commission was that Godlewski was booked for a panel discussion at an event in Illinois that was focused on election integrity. Executive director of the nonpartisan Wisconsin Elections Commission, Megan Wolf, told the Journal Sentinel, quote, it certainly was confusing to me that she was participating in a panel like that. There are Democrats and Republicans who are partisans and members of that elections commission as well. And on both sides of the aisle, you have commissioners expressing concern that was voiced there by Megan Wolf. Like, um, listen, we are the voice. The Wisconsin Elections Commission oversees elections, and we are the voice that ought to speak on those election integrity issues and how we go about administering elections mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. state. It's not something that falls under the Secretary of State's office. So what gives here? <laughs> So let's go back and connect a few other dots. Secretary Godlewski became Secretary Godlewski when the guy who'd actually won election for that post just this past November quit just a few weeks into his four-year term. And it was a long process, two years it took to achieve this because we had to do it with a committee. There's a former Wisconsin State Secretary, Doug LaFossil. LaFollette. Did I say it wrong again? LaFollette. Are you sure? <laughs> I am positive. <laughs> yes, Doug LaFollette, whose crowning achievement in the post of Secretary of State was to get a plaque installed on a bust of his distant relative, fighting Bob LaFollette. Which took two years. Yes, please. Abruptly retired, despite having just one re-election. That cleared the way for Governor Tony Evers to appoint Godlewski to the post. How about that? <laughs> so a lot of us... 
when he retired just a few weeks in, we're like, hang on, dude, you had to know. Why do you run for another four-year term if you're not sure you're going to make it to March? <laughs> Much less March of 24, 25, 26. What gives here? Hey, politics, baby. Godlewski, an up-and-comer in the Wisconsin Democratic Party. She was essentially on the bench. Remember, she was state treasurer. She had to agree because you can't run simultaneously for state mm-hmm. office and federal office. So yep. she wanted to be a U.S. senator. So she was running in the U.S. Senate election, which ultimately put the Democratic nominee, then-Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, against Senator Ron Johnson. But she wanted to run in that, so she had to give up her job as a state treasurer. She bowed out of the Democratic primary less than two weeks before the election. And only about 48 hours after she vowed she had no intention of getting out of the race. That was the day that Alex Lazary dropped out. Another candidate had dropped out earlier on the Democratic side, and they were clearing the way for the anointed candidate, then Lieutenant Governor Barnes. I am a tell-it-how-it-is person, and I take a very common-sense approach. And I know that right now what we have to do is we have to get behind Mandela Barnes to defeat Ron Johnson. So that was just days after she said, no, I'm not going anywhere. I'm running. <laughs> right. 48 hours later. <laughs> 48 hours later. Uh, I'm out. So what changed in those magical couple of days? It's widely believed that she was told by party leaders, look, you need to take one for the team here. Lazary took one for the team. Is it a DA? Nelson. Yeah, Nelson. Right. Was he a DA game or county, county exec? County exec. That's exactly that right? it. He bought out earlier. He actually had said, like, I'm out of cash here. And I see the handwriting on the wall. Right. That might have been exactly what it appeared to be. Two weeks before, right? Yeah. Just a couple of weeks. A few. And then Lazary after him, and then Godlewski was the only one left to challenge Mandela Barnes. Widely believed that party leaders got to her, somebody got to her, and just said, look, not your turn, so you need to to step aside here. However, we're going to take care of you. When it is your turn, we'll have your back. And that's not without precedent. Both sides do it. In fact, many argue that conservatives here should have done that with the state Supreme Court race and said to Dan Kelly, you had your turn. You didn't win re-election or you, while well, he was appointed to the post and then ran for election right, and right. lost. You're out. We want somebody else in even before the race turned. But so, again, that happens all the time. But exactly what was offered to her? Well, we see how this all sort of came together didn't take long for Democrats to find a way to get Godlewski off the bench. She gets appointed to this $72,000 a year job, which gives her a salary, more importantly, ability to hold a position in public office, keep that fundraising apparatus set and running, and a platform then to go off and politic on whatever she feels like all over the state or even out of state, as the case may be, to continue to spread her message, maintain her profile, which she can then use to launch a bid for higher office Got to be governor in 2026. So some have suggested the Doug LaFossle retirement just worked out right. Two years. Appears even more likely this morning, I think, that it didn't just work out, that it was fully set up. They are who we thought they were. So then what to make of it? Anything to be concerned about here? It's certainly not illegal. You can do all that. It does happen more often than you think in some fashion, right? Is it unethical? And here's the only way... (laughs) Look, politics is politics, <laughs> right? So if we want to start... I mean, that's redundant, right? Politics on ethical. Colin Fowles over here and Colin Fowles over there, right? I mean, the whole thing, the, the worst thing is a politician accusing another politician of playing politics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Eric's just playing politics here with this important issue. I'm Give an me outsider. a break, all of you, right? <laughs> so politics happen, but 
if if someone were to suggest it's unethical, I guess it would be in this much. You had someone who ran for statewide public office, an elected position that millions of Wisconsinites had had a stake in. They voted. Mm-hmm. And if you had someone who knew full well he wasn't even going to come close to filling out that term when elected by the voters only to make way for a political appointee, that would border on unethical to me. Because you're not being honest with the voters. If two years into a term or a year into a term or whatever, or you have guys, I mean, DeSantis has taken some because he just won re-election to be the governor in Florida when everybody knew full well he was going to run for president. Governor Walker dealt with that as yep, well. Yep. So it's on both sides of the aisle, whatever. But if there were to be an ethical issue there, that's where I would find it. Either way, brilliant strategy here on the part of Democrats. Strategery. Only two miscalculations as I see it. One, they backed the wrong candidate for U.S. Senate. I think Sarah Godlewski might well have won that race. It was very close with Senator Ron Johnson. We know now that it was abortion, abortion, abortion that drove people to the polls in November and again to the polls here this spring. And she would have been a greater champion for um, right to choose on that side of the aisle, I think, than would Lieutenant Governor Barnes. Plus, Barnes brought a whole bunch of baggage that he couldn't overcome. And she is a rising star in the Wisconsin Democratic Party for sure. The other miscalculation is maybe they thought nobody would notice or maybe nobody would care, but at least it's been pointed out. We're on the record. They are who we thought they were. 846 on Wisconsin's Morning News. Eight fifty one of Wisconsin's Morning News. I like a good roast. Yes. Nothing funnier than people that can laugh at themselves. Yeah. I love that and about it, people. It's usually well written, too. The White House Correspondents' Dinner was over the weekend. About a thousand people cramming into the Washington Hilton, I think it was. The president was there, the vice president, lots of big wigs from all the networks and just many different types of papers and whatnot. It's the people like you hear. We have Karen Travers on from yep. ABC News from time to time, chief mm-hmm. White House correspondent for ABC yeah, she News. She had some mic time, too. She yeah, was she... on the stage doing some stuff. So, right. All these folks who cover the White House and stuff are invited for a few hours of Let's just goof on each other. Let's nothing's off limits here. Like very serious topics can be poked fun at a little bit. And that includes the president himself. In a lot of ways, this dinner sums up my first two years in office. I'll talk for 10 minutes, take zero questions, and cheerfully walk away. Yeah, everybody, thank you. Zing, pow, he went after bing. Fox. I'd call Fox honest, fair, and truthful. But then I could be sued for defamation. No. Also, to talk about his age. Sam ancient. Oh wait, wait. Go ahead. What? Greg, do we have a? We have a. Uh, oh, for shot? sure. Oh, right. we have what one of those. Have? There it is. <laughs> I want that every time now. All right, here. You ready? He addresses his age. Sam ancient. I Sam wise. You Sam over the hill. Don Lemon would say that's a man of his prime. <laughs> He struggled right. on that one a little bit. It was like he almost forgot the punchline. <laughs> yeah, he waited too long. Timing on wasn't good on that one, Mr. President. He discussed the importance of freedom of the press. It is absolutely consequential and essential. After all, I believe in the First Amendment. Not just because my good friend Jimmy Madison wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Madison. <laughs> 
Like so that. Roy Wood Jr. was the uh, the MC or the keynote speaker, the comedian who spoke. He does a lot of stuff for the Daily Show, and uh, the president introduced him. Roy, the podium is yours. I'm going to be fine with your jokes, but I'm not sure about dark branding. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they call him when he wears the shades. Yeah, he put on the, the and glasses. And a play off the Let's Go Brandon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and everyone laughed at that, thought that was funny. Of course, then Roy Wood up there. You got to get Tucker back on the air, Mr. President, because right now there's millions of Americans that don't even know why they hate you. <laughs> <laughs> he also... Went after the president's age. He addressed the protests taking place in France. They rioted when the retirement age went up two years to 64. They rioted because they didn't want to work till 64. Meanwhile, in America, we have an 80-year-old man begging us for four more years of work. <laughs> begging. Begging. <laughs> Let me finish the job. That's not a campaign slogan. That's a plea. <laughs> hey. Uh, Roy Wood also addressed the Trump document. Actually, he uh, took a swing at the media, too. As soon as the Trump document story broke, everybody was down at Mar-a-Lago. We were reporting live from the documents. And we're going to find them. And then we found out Joe Biden had documents, too. And it was like, oh, it's not a big deal. <laughs> It's not a big deal. Everybody got documents. Everybody got documents. Mike Pence has some documents. Oh, look, a Chinese spy balloon. Would you look at that? Well done, media. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You want one more? Yeah. All right. Here's him. I can go all morning with Here's him teasing Trump. Keeping up with Trump scandals is like watching Star Wars movies. You got to watch the third one to understand the first one. Then you you can't miss the second one because it's got Easter eggs for the fifth one. Donald Trump is the only politician whose scandals got spinoffs on Disney+. Plus. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen. So, yeah, so every year they do it. It rubs some folks the wrong way. Other people enjoy it. But uh, all of the correspondents are there. A A lot of big wigs. In the world of media. That's my thing with political humor is tease the Republicans, tease the Democrats, tease my side, tease your side, whatever. It, here's, here's where we've been falling down in the last several years, I think, mm-hmm. in, in political humor is it's not funny. It's not <laughs> been funny. Just being snarky and mean isn't funny. So if I'm laughing, I'll laugh at my guy as much as your guy or sure, whatever. Sure. I'll laugh at myself if I'm laughing. If you're just being snarky and mean, that's, like, that's not funny. Rule and one, rule number one for comedy, I got to at least be laughing. Then it's mm-hmm. all good. I'm, I'm with you there. I'm with you. So success. There you go. Well Wait. done, media. <laughs> From WTMJ, W277-CV, and WKTI-HD2 Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ, a good karma brand station. Eight fifty nine on Wisconsin's morning news. Some breaking concert news. Pancake. Who did, Aerosmith tour just announced. Oh yeah, their farewell tour. Which farewell tour is this? Did they not have a farewell tour I already? They, I, I'm surprised. I don't think they ever had one, but I didn't expect them to play anymore. They it's quickly. 50, it's fifty years. I think is the reason. is that what it is? They started doing ballads. They turned into power ballad group there for a bit. They're old rockers. 
I'd put Aerosmith in a, in a small group of bands that found a way to remain relevant with their new stuff over decades, though, yeah. right? Yeah, they, they changed with the times a little They're bit. They're one of the bands that when they, you know, in the what, the early 2000s or whatever, said, here's something off our new album, and you didn't go, oh, <laughs> When did that, that song from Armageddon come out? What, what year was that? 1998. That was that long ago, huh? That's probably like a, a huge hit for them. They had a few in a row there of just like giant power. Mid ballads, to late nineties you know? were pretty solid. Yeah, but hey, they'd already been somebody. Could have sworn they had a rollover and died to her. Somebody going to hand you millions of dollars? <laughs> you're going to go take it. Last hurrah. Yeah. Walk this way. I'm going to see Pearl Jam in fall. There you go in St. Paul. Excellent. I, Eric was. You'll like this, Steve. Eric was with me. My wife was texting me. She had signed up for some email alert. If tickets anywhere near your universe become available, would you be interested? Yada, yada, yada. She got this thing like, hey, I signed up for this thing. We could, I can get two tickets to Pearl Jam. Hmm. So I looked at Eric. I'm like, and I like Pearl Jam. I'm like, am I doing this? Because you know, I don't. Right. Concerts aren't really my thing and all this other stuff. And changing your schedule is and weird Eric, for you. Eric said, it can't be a, can't be a weeknight. You won't go to Culver's on a weeknight. <laughs> <laughs> It's not. It's That's exactly right. This is true. That's true. 901 WTMJ Steve Scafidi is next. As soon as the Trump document story broke, everybody was down to Mar-a-Lago. We were reporting live from the documents. And we're going to find them. And then we found out Joe Biden had documents, too. And it was like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Everybody got documents. Everybody got documents. Mike Pence has some documents. Oh, look, a Chinese spy balloon. Would you look at that? Well done, media.